This is my audition test. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now, Welcome to the Jax Jones and Martin Warner Show. Jax Jones is an internationally renowned artist, music producer and DJ, having sold over 40 million records across pop, house and dance genres, as well as receiving multiple Grammy, Brit and Ivor Novello nominations for his work. Martin Warner is a serial entrepreneur, inventor, educator, investor and film producer. Among his accomplishments, Martin achieved the holy grail exit of $50 million in a record 17 months. He was the first British pioneer to enter the race to build an electric air taxi. He also co-invented full-colour 3D desktop printing. He holds over 120 patents for his innovations. Welcome everyone. The podcast era has a leading co-anchored show. Jack Jones and myself, Martin Warner, deliver an intellectually curious, cross-cultural, insight-focused conversations for you, the listener. The show is joined by special guests who have achieved excellence in their profession on podcast subjects that matter across life, business and art. Jax and I aim to unlock the secrets, tips and insights behind the subjects they explore. Prepare to learn, laugh and love the unlikely chemistry of best friends in this unique podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Today's show is called Looking Through the Lens of Music on its relevance to culture, legacy and the future with Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. Norman Cook is a world-renowned recording artist, DJ and music producer who popularised the big beat genre in the 90s. His relevance to popular culture has stood the test of time and his anthems continue to ring out to packed stadiums and festivals across the globe. Before making his name in dance music, he played bass guitar in the House Martins, formed the electronic group Beats International and DJ duo The Mighty Dubcats. But for more than 30 years, his stage name Fatboy Slim has dominated the electronic music space. His music is ingrained on the minds of generations of people and his lyrics are timeless. Now so, more than ever, his upcoming UK tour is appropriately titled We've Come a Long, Long Way. I can't wait for this, Martin. You ready, mate? Oh, yeah. I tell you what, we need to do a podcast at some point about Seaspiracy. Really? That's just going to make me cry, dude. I don't, I don't need to cry anymore. I'm with you. But I like I to get my I like to get my facts third hand. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this thing I, I'm literally put off fish forever. I don't think I can I, I I don't think I can have another plate of sashimi ever again. And I'm just going to be eating the ginger until another I documentary comes out about the fact that ginger is irresponsibly planted. I'm just by the it's a root, right? I haven't just made myself sound really daft there. No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. But the problem is, we're going to find out that we're irresponsibly yeah, accused of everything. We shouldn't even be on planet Earth. I mean, that's going to get. It's going to get. No, to that no, level, no. Right? You remember Brian Cox said that we've actually done a great low for Brian uh, for for planet Earth. That's from the great Brian Cox himself. He said, "Anyone that said that humans weren't good for planet Earth, they're actually talking crap." Yeah. Well, I think he also said that if you were to you know press the nuke button, right, you would destroy all meaning, possibly in our galaxy and beyond. So. 
you know there's some there's some human achievement dude i'm learning so much i'm learning so much from these podcasts it's actually amazing oh yeah it's uh, it's just fascinating i just i just love the i love doing it with you and i just love the journey but the sea spiracy thing i feel like it's a conversation that that there's needed to be had for like 20 years we did it 20 years ago and we've been doing it you know ceremoniously every six to 12 months to talk about meats and now we're finally having it about the poor fish and so you know to the extent that we educate people can't be a bad thing at all defo something to explore i mean on a lighter note in uh, as i just said as a result of these podcasts i am genuinely becoming a conversation leader in general life i'm uh, <laughs> learning you, a lot more yeah and i thought you were the smart one i'm like i'm dropping facts <laughs> i've got little bits <laughs> like and now after chatting with doug ellen i know how to write a script I'm, i've got my own tv show coming i'm going you know it's I'll I'm actually you. a buzz it's like wealth management, isn't it? It's like getting advice. It's like, well, well how do I want to live my life? Well, it's, it's unreal. No, so you talk we to got these today? incredible experts. Yeah, yeah, Sorry? exactly. We got an expert today. We have actually got an expert today. Oh, for sure. And, and not just an expert. I mean, it, it, look, it, it's wonderful to respect someone. It's another thing to revere someone because you're just a big fan. I am super excited. Um, I'm excited for you because you've got a, a wonderful relationship and you set it up. But we have none other than... Fat boy slim, and I'm super excited. I the mean, I, I, just, rolls, I love his music. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like it's gonna be very nostalgic. Why do you love his music so much? Why well, just it, well, first of all, you know, he defined the big beat genre, and so that 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 style of music was just it was quintessentially of that period. So it was just it was just the biggest thing out there, like it was the coolest thing out there, and he had this incredible name, like it was so catchy, like everything about him was just really cool. So like a lot of people just looked up to him, and the music just dominated, and and so you know there are a few songs, and they tend to be the popular ones that that that, that people like. But I liked a lot of his stuff. He produced more music than people thought, but uh, you know I I just I love the biggins, you know. You you can't not praise you right here right now. I'm just I just love him. It's Do you fantastic. know what I love? Do you know what I love about you though is that the I know that prior to us recording the interview with Norman, aka Fatboy Slim, is you're gonna have played his songs to get yourself in the mood on your Apple Home <laughs> and just jamming out in the house, going right here, right now, right here. <laughs> Dude, it's so true. Listen, I was in the park, listen to it. Right, I was crossing the lake, listen to it. I was in my bedroom, listen to it. I'm in my lounge, listen to it. I just played it before I spoke to you. <laughs> You're such a fan. I love it. I love it. Do you have a do you have a like a memory associated with him at all? I do. Oh, I have many because I, I this period of my life, it's not like I remember every bit of it, but the nineties were kind of cool, and I just remember being um, in in Meribel in in um, France, and and I was actually working, and I remember hitting this hotel and just you know just chilling out after hanging out with some of the staff and. And, and I just remember going in and it was like a lounge club and they were playing Fatboy Slim. And I just, I'll always, I'll always remember it because I remember thinking, wow, it just, I was in a, a really interesting mood. And, um, and I remember just thinking, God, I'm so fortunate. If the, is this the life I'm going to have? Am I going to continue to travel? And I just liked it. And then I had this, this cool music playing in the background. And I just, yeah, it's just something that I remember. It's a bit like, just like Fatboy Slim, I remember these places when i first heard other kind of 
you know theme songs at the time or like like you know um i don't know born slippy for instance you know i remember i remember where i was or insomnia you know faceless this is just these were these big timeless tracks i, I remember exactly what i was doing when i first heard these tracks same for praise you with fat boy slim right here right now rockefeller skank I mean, I, 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 I mean, I may be incorrect, but I think I remember the first time I heard those songs. That's how powerful they are to me. So, boom, welcome to the show, my good friend Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim. You, you don't know the first time we met, but it would have been in the airport in Milan at, and there was this techno gig that we were playing on the rooftop of a civil building and I was behind you in the lobby of a hotel. I met you, but you didn't meet me. I, I said hello and I was too shy to go any further than that. But little did I know, it's blossomed into a really lovely relationship where I think we interviewed, had a long conversation at your house and you've now asked me to play on your tour, which is the amazing arena shows you put on. Uh, amazing club, immersive like club experience that only you can pull off. And, you know, I've learned a lot from you from far and in person and things you've told me. And I think there's a lot to learn and Martin, who's uh, my co-host on the show, I want to introduce you to him. So, Norman, meet Martin Warner. Martin Warner, Norman. Martin, how you doing? Hey, Norman. Good to meet you. I'm a big fan, huge fan. Ah, bless you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Uh, I, I, Yeah, I'm sorry that I didn't remember you the first time we met. So. <laughs> there was nothing to remember. Was, like, that, it, that, was that that weird gig in, like, Mussolini's old headquarters or something? It yeah, it was, man. Fashion. And then it was, pro- like, it was a kind of edifice of fascism. And then, yeah, yeah. and then they messed something up. So where I was supposed to be playing, they they had noise problems, so I couldn't play there. And then they were going to put me in the, in the techno dungeon. And then they decided that I just I would get canned off stage if I played in that bit. And then we put an impromptu one on the on the roof. That's exactly. That it. was probably my worst gig actually of the last fifteen years. <laughs> if that was your worst gig, that was <laughs> that was terrible. If for you me, gave bro. me a second chance after all that, then uh, I thank you. <laughs> I mean. Like with with without you're a humble guy, so you probably won't like me saying all this. But like you know, you're a pioneer of a of a genre which is rare in itself. You've had an incredibly long career with many different like amazing moments, and to this day, you can still command a main stage festival all around the world. Do you know what I mean? And that's incredible. And for us, the purpose of this podcast, like it it's from the perspective of a fan, but also we love the idea of meeting people that have achieved at a certain level like yourself and we just feel that even if you're not in music there are things that could inspire other people that within their own disciplines that they could things but perhaps that are intrinsic to you in innate but someone could learn from that and pick up and perhaps apply to their own field and you're just such a great guy i think if someone took five percent of what you do i think it would make what they do a bit better uh, well thanks for saying all that i mean I, i'm a humble person which is <laughs> it means it's great that somebody else would say it for you uh it's you know i mean i'm humble but i'm very proud proud of, of, of a lot of the stuff i've done in another way but i mean i think one of the reasons that us two get on is i think you're very similar to me in that you grew up just loving music and just, but not just I want to make music or I want to be a DJ. It's kind of you bought into the whole package, which is why you want to do radio shows and podcasts and stuff like that. You just want to be immersed in it. And I see a lot of, uh, a lot of myself in you. Uh, I think that's why we've always got on because I feel like some kind of sort of uncle who could hopefully uh, watch chart your progress. And, but, it, no, but you're right. I mean, there's so many people that you meet in this industry who just, 
are inspired by by everything about it and they're not they just didn't just wake up one day and say oh, i want to be famous it's like you're just inspired by the whole world of music and mm. you buy into the whole package and then that in turn is inspiring to other people because you see these people and go well, he's like i was you know and so they, it used to be that djs were always like that because the only reason you'd be a dj is that you were so into music that you had to play it to other people and you had to share it with everyone because it was never in those days it was never a, a shortcut to stardom or anything else uh, it, mm. so it was like the only people who were into it were just into it because they just they loved it and i think i think that's probably the reason i've gotten away with it for so long is because I, I i continue to love it and i've never seen it as a job it's just the best hobby in the world there's so much to be said in that because I think some of the stuff that we're going to be covering is just like a bit about yourself, a bit about your career and a bit about music in general. And I think like underpinning all that, one thing that I notice about your career is that it's just that deep passion for music, which I think is hard to maintain because you it can erode as you become a professional. Do you know what I mean? Uh, with the way the industry treats you and the way, uh, the way, especially now, the way music is consumed, it's very different, in my opinion, to, you know, even five years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, the way it's consumed and the, the way it's produced as well, because, you know, in the old days to get in the studio to do anything, you had to talk someone into giving you the money or lending you the money or you had to pawn your, you know, your, your bike or something like that. To, and whereas now people could do it on laptops, the way we DJ is different before you had to learn the art of beat matching records and now you can just get a laptop to do it. But the, the underlying thing of it hasn't changed. It's like when people, people ask me about how technology has changed DJing, it's like, yeah, you've got a sync button that will mix for you. Yeah, you can, you know, you've got access to way more music. You don't have to spend, you know, all your afternoons going around crazy record shops trying to find that one tune. Everything's at your fingertips. But the basic reason that we do what we do is because young people want to go out and get high and get laid and get excited. And there, it's a basic primeval instinct, whether it's cavemen dancing around or whatever. It's like, there's that primal thing of, of escapism and hedonism and sex. And, and that never really changes. The, the way the buttons we press to do it may change. But the basic thing is it's, it's a, a, a pure love of escapism and, and, and idiocy and lust and, you know, all the things that, that, that come out in it. And I've never got jaded about that. I mean, bits of the industry side of it, I have got jaded. And over the years, it's like, uh, again, like seeing, seeing you, it's like, you're just, you're up for everything. And like when I was, when I first started, I was in a band called The House Martins and my nickname was Sporty Norman. Because they went, Norman, he's just up for everything. He just, he's like a puppy. And th yeah, when you start, you're up, you're up for, you know, for, you, know you, you, you agree to everything and you want to do everything. And, you want, and as you get older, I do get a bit jaded about bits of the industry that I don't, it's just like, you know what? I've done, I think I've done this long enough that I don't have to do that anymore. Or I've done that, you know, it's like that. If you do something for 10 years and it always ends up the same way, it's like, you know, you know how this is going to end up. The definition of madness is you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So over the years, there's bits of the industry side of it that I, you know, just thought, well, I don't need to do that. I, the, the bit, I'll do the bits I love. But the photo sessions and the videos and uh, all the the bits, you know, every year one I I, I, to that, yeah. every year every year I get into one thing. It's like I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> it's like one more thing. And, you, and you basically it, knock one off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I think probably my my bit. I do occasionally knock them off. Yeah. Um, if 
the probably the turning point for me was videos around the time I'd been in in Freak Power and Beats International and the House Minds and we made videos some had been successful some hadn't so they were always the most expensive part of the process and I didn't really enjoy the filming of them and everything and then when when I started having getting on the radio with Fatboy Slim the record company was like oh we got to make videos I'm like you know what I'm f bored of videos I don't enjoy making them that whole idea of me like look at me I'm young and beautiful and pretty and I you know and that side of it I just thought it's like is it all right if I'm not in my videos and the record company sort of went uh, uh, okay and then when the videos didn't have to feature me we started yeah. experimenting with them and uh very quickly we found out you could make much more interesting videos without me in them and that turned around to my advantage and so like two years later you know that someone you know pitched a video with me in it and the record company goes no no he's not in his videos so things like that where you can shape it to your advantage you can not do the bits that you find uh, a chore or just you're not comfortable with as i get older you know the idea of me no, but there was to... something about the way you used to do before we jump into the to the meat and chips of this combo there was su as as much as making some of the biggest records of all time in dance music and in like pop culture in general but like your videos are big reference points for me as well like and uh, me too me too i agree by the way wholeheartedly and even more so now because like YouTube has just like devalued the nature of video. If, if MTV shot M videos up like that, yeah, YouTube just kind of plateaued it because now everyone's doing a video, right? Yeah. And so it becomes even harder now to stand out. Mm. Uh, and if, if anything, the, the lower your production value, but the better the idea, the, the further you're going to go. And your videos did that on the nose. Like the Praise You video with, I think I read about the crazy, the breakdancer that you came across like in a on the street somewhere. He's like, let's just put him in a video. Right. Uh, it wasn't quite that. Well, that was, is that the spin? No, yet? no, no, no. It was, <laughs> no, no it, oh, I got that, it wrong. I thought it was that, but then I found out that that crazy break dancer was actually Spike Jones, who is the director <laughs> of all my favourite videos. And when I found it, it was actually him doing <laughs> no the dancing. Way. Yeah. He just let, he left a what? VHS. He left a VHS in my hotel room in LA saying, I saw this crazy crackhead dancing to Rockefeller Skank and thought you might want to see it. And it was basically a kind of prototype, the crazy video, but it was just him on his own, just dancing outside a movie theater and um, no just way. doing the most stupid moves. And I was like, that's the kind <laughs> of video I want to make. But I mean, I mean, that was, I mean, that was a real turn. I mean, that there was a turning point in my career in, 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 you know, internationally launching me in America and stuff like that. But for me, it was the, the genius was that I sat down with the record company and they're going, so what don't you like about videos? I'm like, well, all the best ones have been made. We're going to have to do something different. I don't want <laughs> yeah. to be in them because there's nothing for me to mime because I don't really do anything on the record. Uh, they're too expensive. My, you know, my recording budget in my bedroom is like that. And then you make a video and then it's like, like that. And, then, and so it, 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 and it sort of satisfied everything because it was kind of like a viral, really. It was sort of taking the piss. Yeah, and, yeah. It was, and it had zero budget, so it didn't cost anything. It got it excited people without trying to impress them with how many bitches with big big booties that I had in my video or how well I could dance or act, and yeah, and and it and it spawned a whole sort of yeah a bit like virals are to polished videos. It's kind of like a an idea rather than just a a glorified promotional tool. Who was the actor again in Weapon of Choice? In Weapon of Choice, it's Christopher Walken. 
I mean, how did you get him to do that? Well, that's but, like the dream. Like I was trying yeah. to get, um, you yeah. know, Quinnif of Tarth in from Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's my modern day yeah. uh, weapon of choice actress or actor to do the dance. If I could get her, what is she like, six foot five to dance around a beautiful lobby? That would be the 2021 version of weapon of choice. How did you get him to do it? Again, that was Spike Jones, uh, who we'd, I'd done the Praise You video with. And then I'd done... His, his uh, brother-in-law had done a video for um, uh, Gangster Tripping. And so I was sort of mates with him and he was just, he met um, Christopher Walken and he was just, and Christopher Walken was dropping hints saying, I really want to get my dance, because I trained as a dancer. I really want to get my dancing down on tape while I'm still young enough to do it. So he just went, hold, hold on. And he, he walked outside and rung me. I went, Norman, I've got Christopher Walken. He wants to dance, do like <laughs> tap dancing in a video. Oh, Are you unreal, up for it? I went, yeah, unreal. fine. And yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, but that that kind of came off the back of what we'd done with the other videos. Is like actors yeah. and that, that wanted to be in a video because it, in one of my videos, because it was kind of like a you know a, a way you know. I don't thing, know. I mean, the best thing yeah. uh, best thing I could say to you, Jax, is that you have carved enough of a name for yourself. You could probably phone these people up. You could you, you could probably yeah 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 because yeah. you never know. She might just be your biggest fan. I know you. I know you. A big hit with the ladies, and it could. But she might just be. You might make that call, like cutting on the call and going, "What's she going to say? What's she going to say?" And she's just sitting there going, "Oh my god, Jack, so good to meet him." Oh. So yeah, never. I mean, now you've got your couple of rungs up the ladder. Don't be. Don't underestimate the power that your name might have. She might just be your biggest fan. Try it. And there it is. The second insight of the day is just give up, pick up the phone, and give it a try. You got to get going. Get, you got to start yeah, get a couple of rungs up the ladder. Yeah, it's true, yeah. man. Well, the, I mean, one, one thing that uh, I mean, especially in this day and age, is you can never underestimate how people might have heard of you. Like true. in the old days, you just think, well, if they live in America, they'd never know what I did, or you know, something like that. But everyone, you know, they, they, everybody, they're probably more famous people are your fans than you realise. And it's it's not a given, but they you know, you could you could phone up people and they go, oh Christ, who knew? You know, who knew that he liked me? That you would want me? I mean, the worst no, you can I get is a no. It, yeah, true. It's, I mean, I'm gonna. It's, keep not, it's generally it's it. generally a polite no. It's generally like, oh, he's, he's a little bit busy at this moment, you know, rather than like, oh, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> fuck off, you know. It's not that wild, yeah. No, try it. No, because it does happen, and it, and it's quite it is quite a funny thing when when you know. Uh, Famous people or people that you wouldn't associate with that get in. I remember Rizzle Kits had James Corden in one of their really early videos. Yeah, I remember that. For no particular reason. I'm like, like how did that happen? They went, oh, he's a mate of a mate, his mum's mate, and he liked, he liked um, the trumpet song. So he was like, yeah, I'll do it. So you never know. You never know. It's the yeah, best my, when my it's only out promise, of industry. If you, if you do on. this, and whether it's her or somebody else, if you do this, just promise me that you'll do something really like, weird and astounding don't just oh yeah you have to do something that that puts them out of their context and, and makes that's people... the beauty of it yeah i got to i got to it's people don't pay attention to dancing like they do back in the day it actually takes more effort than you think like i'm a real stickler for dance routines if i'm being honest probably too much <laughs> probably in the wrong job should be like a 
dance captain or something like that. I've I've known to go on set and start just stopping the video and getting them to redo the dance a hundred times until I, I think it fits the song perfectly. You know, what I'd really love is in a year from now, I'm I'm just cruising through the internet and I happen on your video. And there's like I don't know Demi Moore doing yeah. a clog dance, wearing yeah. nothing but bananas, and then I, and then. <laughs> And, and I'll go, that's, that's wrong and funny and different. Oh, I remember. He promised he'd do that. <laughs> well, it's no, like Tom Cruise at the end of Tropic Thunder, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Greatest. It's the greatest best. cameo ever, right? In, in life. I, before I kick off, like, where, does, where did you get Demi Moore from? I'm a big fan of Demi Moore. But like, why did she pop into your head? I've absolutely no idea. Because <laughs> I, I, I was going to say I was going to say Halle Berry because I've really got the hots for Halle Berry, but then I, <laughs> right. but then I didn't want to give it away, and also oh, I know he just gave it away. Halle Berry dates quite wonderfully, actually. She her last boyfriend was an uh, Englishman, so you aren't actually out of like a fighting chance. Well, I do I do follow her just to make sure she she's not single at the moment. But if she does, <laughs> then she, I'll be I'll be knocking on her door saying I've got a new single out, Harry. Harry. Yeah. Are you are you my fan? Yeah. I mean, I I think you know it, I think that's great advice you gave Jax actually because. You know, I'm in I'm in the world of entrepreneurship, like in multiple industries, but but I'm not in the consumer world intentionally, and I'm always stunned at people that follow entrepreneurs that have no reason to, but discover something. So when you're in the consumerdom, and you've got all of these people just listening to music, it makes sense that as you go up the pyramid, a whole bunch of people appreciate your work. It yeah. just totally makes sense. And the other the other tip is, if you don't ask, you don't get. You yeah. just got to get out there, right? You know, and who better than yourself, Jax? You know. Well, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned about celebrity dumb, yeah, it's just like essentially, well, when they've got a product, they're people at a high level, performing at a high level, but they are, in fact, what you just said, they're just consumers of culture. They love culture as well. So they will have noticed you. Do mm. you know what I mean? Like, like even when I see, like, if you go on Instagram, you see Calvin Harris liking all like weird techno DJs that have like 5,000 followers and whatnot. And you think, wow, that's on Calvin Harris's radar. It's because Calvin Harris gives a shit about music. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think you can excel at anything without knowing it deeply at every stage. Do you but, know what I mean? But like you said, it's like no matter how successful or famous you are, you're still a consumer of other people's products. So you've still got a favourite and you've still got to go to, you know, And with yeah. with that, it all, I all went. I thought you was going to continue. I, no, thought I, you was I, I did. Continue. I did too. I but like, I, I, I couldn't think the of the next off. word. <laughs> no, that's oh, it. They, they. Well, I was. Uh, no, that was that was it. That was a glitch in my Wi-Fi. I didn't really corpse there. Ah, <laughs> fair play. <laughs> fair play. Uh, Norman, can we do this? What 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 would love to do. Um, is talk a little bit about you and then obviously talk uh, the meat of it about your career and a little bit about kind of the music landscape. And I, and you guys kind of uh, quite knowingly just dived into something that was really natural. I'd love to just like break it up because one of the questions I'd love to start with is I'm, a, I'm 49. I remember when you hit the scene and I was a huge fan then. And, and when I heard that we were going to get you on the show, uh, you know, just, but it brought back not just the songs, but it brought back the memories of that period of my life. And it, and I've just been playing them ever since. And ironically, my son, who's an aspiring DJ, 19, is listening to your music as well. And I said, oh, this, is, this would be super cool. And I thought, well, I think I know who Fatboy Slim is. And I've, I've kind of followed your career. And obviously, I've looked at the guys who've given me kind of what you're doing lately. And I've looked and I thought, well, but I'm, I knowingly know who you are as an artist. 
But I always think it's an interesting question to ask the person how they would describe themselves. I wonder if you'd spend like a minute or two, like, just how would you, if you were just telling the listeners, how would you describe yourself in whatever way you, you feel natural? I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm, I've always said I'm a shy show-off, which is the same kind of oxymoron as being a fat boy who's slim. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, <laughs> I, I kind of, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a show-off, but I kind of show off who attempts not to have an ego about it and is, is quite apologetic about it, but just can't help himself. So every time I try and be cool, yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of sort of, and, and, and it's a bit like making records. A lot of the times I, I'm like, right, okay, today you're gonna make a really cool record. It's gonna be really, you know, minimal and cool <laughs> and, you know, and, and then there's just some hook comes and it ends up as a pop record. And it's kind of in, it's in my nature to show off and go for something that gets a reaction. So that's probably the best way of explaining. And the, and the other, and again, it's a bit of an oxymoron because there are two me's definitely. And as I get older, there's definitely two me's. One is Norman and the other is Fatboy. And Fatboy does things that Norman would never do and vice versa. And, uh, and it's, but it's quite nice. That's quite nice because I don't have to continually live up to the reputation of being Fatboy Slim. I can switch right. off and I can switch off and I, I can be a responsible father of two and uh, and grow old gracefully as Norman. And, but I still get my kicks of, of, of getting up there and pretending I'm 17 again. Uh, Were you always like a performer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Show, uh, show Even off. from school days, show off, yeah. From birth, from... <laughs> I think all my, fa- all my whole family are show offs. So it was like I was the youngest of three kids. The youngest show so off. So <laughs> I had to out show off the older two because they they'd been doing it longer than me. And 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 then we had to take our parents on, on who'd been showing off their whole lives. So yeah, no, we were de- we were definitely quite an extrovert family. And but were your parents musical? Not well. I mean, they, we used to sing. We used to sing in the car on long car journeys. Yeah. And when we were singing, we were sort of taking harmonies, and we had sort of certain songs that we could really do quite well. You know, without singing along to the radio, we could actually sing as a family. And. Yeah. That's, I think that's my earliest feeling about music that I loved listening to music, but then making it, it's just something really powerful happens. When there's yeah, five yeah. of us in a car and we stop rowing for five minutes and we're all singing a song, we're all singing harmonies, it was just like, whoa, what's this strange way that my heart beats when I do this? And it's the, and that is, yeah, for me, that is a still an ongoing power of, of music. Like, these days I don't play so much with bands, uh, yeah. but obviously have done quite a lot in my career. But every now and then, like it's a friend's wedding or something, and we, we and a lot of my mates. I've are heard musicians. about Kelly's Heroes. Oh, ah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every now and then we put a little pickup band together, and the thrill that I get when I get in a little in some in a rehearsal studio or somebody's front room and we start playing together again, something really powerful happens, and it's it's the same as when you're DJing to a crowd and you know the whole crowd is with you and you're all in that same, you know, you all want the same thing. It's a very powerful thing that happens. And, and, and yeah, I suppose that's, uh, that's part of that love. Part of that love is the excitement I get about enjoying sharing music with people rather than just consuming it as, as, a, as a fan, being part of it. And Where do you think that love for sharing came from? I don't know. I, I, like I said from that, just the, the way that, my heartbeat when when I was singing together with my family, or mm. you know, it's just like oh, this, and it's it's a bit like a you know 
it's probably the same thing I had when I had my first erection. It's like, what is this? Why is the blood rushing around my body and all going there? You know, it's just sort of, what is this? This is really exciting, you know. So it was a bit. It's a bit like that, and and, and I've had moments like with the first band I was in the the, the house minds. We used to sing a cappella. Now that is such a feeling when you're 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 also you've got a song that you like and then you're working on the arrangement and you sort of do, and then the one time all of a sudden you've nailed it and you've hit you everyone's got their own little harmony and you just look at each other and the, and it's like the power of the four voices becomes like yeah. an orchestra and yeah. it's the same thing at a big gig the power of of, of all those people meshed together and all uh, all in the same mindset and wanting to do the same thing becomes bigger than the, the sum of the parts. Well, it's life, isn't it? It's like that. It's it's life. I think that. Even in ele- when you make music, that when you include a voice on it, it just adds life to it mm. in a different kind of way. Do you know what I mean? I think that's I know what you mean about especially about acapella and harmony. No, because I'm wondering because when I've been uh, helping Martin's son Sam with music and uh, like showing him how to, uh, production chops, and then he, but he already had like a. A really, I think, because I believe anyone can learn how to make music, but what you can't learn is taste, and I think the taste is what it, uh, it comes from those experiences in your teens and what you're kind of exposed to, because that kind of sets your markers, like your parameters for like your level of complexity or how far you're willing to go for something. Do you right. know what I mean? And so that's why I was kind of asking, and I, I don't think you ever shake that. Do you know what I mean? Because like, if I'm being honest with you, even though now. Uh, I've lo- done loads of different genres. Like I was in bands before. I've made grime. I've made hip hop, and now I've I've ended up in house music. And I learned the genre piece by piece. And and it it was kind of, what I found for me most exciting about it was the history, because I love genre that has history and a culture. Yeah. And so the um, but ultimately I kept my preferences. For example, why I love the spoken word vocal or I love a more like R&B tinged top line is because I grew up on R&B and like and dancehall and black music primarily and, and like uh, high life and do you know what I mean? And, all, mm. and at the time, like KRS-One. And I don't think you ever shake that, which is why I was asking. And the same with Sam, with Martin's kid is he talks about the monkeys and Cat Stevens and things that, that his dad, play, that Martin played to him. So like, I wonder when you were growing up whether there were any key things there that's what i was kind of asking yeah no absolutely when you when you were saying that so like and and knowing your music yeah you can hear those little bits of of everything you've grown up with which is which is the most honest way of making music you just think what did i like when i was growing up with i like you know and then you unconsciously or consciously take the best bits out of it so i i was really lucky i grew up in a really uh good era i think for music i grew up on the beatles Literally, they started the year I was born. So the first 10 years of my life was just the Beatles. And then just when I was finding uh, my feet, when I was 14, punk came along. And that gave me, that gave me sort of the attitude of, uh, you can, you know, that you don't have to be a virtuoso musician. You can, you know, it's it's Mm. just, you know, make your own rules, homemade music, homemade record labels and that freedom that, that punk... It wasn't just about making really loud, snotty music and spitting at each other, you know, there was a... No, punk a, is crazy. I, I just a, discovered Minor Threat. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like I ju- I've, I've never known much about punk and I was listening... Minor Threat, uh, that song about being clean is... Do you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking no, about. You're Why are you listening to that? Straight Edge. I was listening to Straight Edge. 
and I just was obsessed with the lyric. Even though I couldn't understand what he was saying, I had to Google it. But <laughs> it was, it's like gro- growing up in that time must have been a buzz. It, it, well, it, like I say, it was because it was like at the time when you'd want to be starting bands and doing stuff. And it was like, well, anyone can do anything. You know, put gigs on in your local village hall, start a band when you can't actually play the instrument that you're going to be playing in the thing, but you've got a week <laughs> to learn it, you know. So there was that freedom. And then as I, just as I came of age to go to nightclubs, uh, Planet Rock happened. And um, the nightclubs were going to were playing that early electro stuff and rap music. And then House came along and had the energy. So when I started, after my other forays into pop music, when I started the Fatboy Slim persona, that was basically, it was the, the hook lines from the Beatles mixed with the do-it-yourself attitude of punk mixed with the breakbeats from hip-hop and the energy of Acid House. And they were the four <laughs> phases of my life all rolled into one. And that, that was kind of, that's the blueprint. I can literally yeah, see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't conscious. It wasn't until that, I'd, I'd been asked about it in so many interviews. I've, one day it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that really, that's what it is. I, th- I yeah. think that even extends in the way you market yourself as well, though. Because you, like, you go off and do an arena. But then I saw the other day you were doing Ballamy. Which is, uh, for people that don't know, is an internet radio station w- with an app that doesn't work at the moment. I was quite pissed off about that. But the it's an internet radio station based out of Peckham Market. And I, I just got so, such a buzz watching you play that. And I just think that's just so... That's the punk to me, that kind of observation of underground culture. And, and, I, played, I, mean? and I played an hour of dub. It was by, <laughs> I did a, a journey through dub, which again came back to... That's what John Peel used to play when I was a kid. And I've always loved so dub cool. music and, and it's, you know, it's stayed in, I mean, it stayed in dance music culture, the, the, you know, the kind of uh, the use of space and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, remixing and 12 inch singles were based on dub mixes really. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm still a fan. I still enjoy, I, I, I'm not just in it to fill arenas. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know it sounds, it sounds really glib and sort of, you know, virtue signaling, but no, my relationship with music goes way, way beyond just, you know, it being a vehicle to filling arenas. I've got a question for you. And, and I, I feel like this comes later, but we're kind of dancing around music. It's so difficult to get off kind of this, this stuff. So I guess I'll throw it out there now. It's like with such a large body of, of experience and you kind of got these four phases and you kind of you know, put it into everything. I think as I get older, I'm struggling. Like I, I want to create new things and new products and services, but I'm living vicariously through my my life and my kid and and and, and my and and one of the kids will tell me something, and I think oh, you know what, that's something I now want to do. You've got such a body of work. Are you looking for just different experiences and and you know you've kind of got the the body that you can work with, or you? kind of looking for something else in your life now whether it be music or whatever like are you bothered about kind of exploring the unknown again or is there just so much that you've got that you can just continue to do unique things within it do you know what I mean yeah I mean that's touched on a few things I mean I'm driven these days I'm less I'm driven more by fear than ambition and mm. uh I, I whereas you know when I was Jack's age I would, you know, I just wanted to do everything. And it's like, I would try, I could, I'd try my hand at anything. And some of it yeah. worked, some of it wouldn't. But, you know, I could take the rejection if it didn't. As I get yeah. older, I kind of, I less, I take the reje- rejection less well. Because I think Isn't at that my age. the opposite way around? 
Like so, where you give a shit less as you get older. I don't know. Where, interesting way of looking at philosophy in life. No, I'm definitely the other way around. Like when I was a kid, I would do, you know, I'd jump on every roller coaster. And now I think, hmm, yeah. that might be a bit dangerous. Or, or, or just, <laughs> oh, not with my, not with my back. No. Mm. And I, no, I think I, I'm, I'm more, you know, when you're at this end of my career, and I, obviously you're a lot younger, but you're at this end of my career, you're always worried about the end, you know, like that, that moment when they go, come in, come in number 47, your time is up. And, you know, and you want to go, you want to think, well, thanks. It's been nice. I've had a great time, but I bow out gracefully. What you don't want is to spend the last 10 years of your career like flogging a dead horse. Nobody wants you. And so you become very um, in tune with the vibrations of, of, of you know, am, am I doing things right? And I think what it, 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 it then leads to is you don't take so many risks. Because if you make, it, make a shit record, before you go, that okay, no one liked that record. You were wrong. I was right. One day you might get it, but I'll move on to the next thing. Whereas Myers, you made a yeah. shit record. You just wander around the house in your dressing room going, I made a shit record. No one likes me. Oh, God, what am I going to do? So, I'm, no, I take less risks. Another thing you touched on about is like your, your relationship with your kids because you, I, my, I've got a, a 20-year-old son and an 11-year-old daughter and both of them are really into pop music and, and, and into, you know, different... Um, coming in from DJs a completely... Though, right? You are. Your daughter DJs though. She de- well, yeah. Well, obviously they, they. It's a two-way street because obviously they've grown up in this house, which is a museum yeah. to music, and I'm always doing my stuff in the office, so they hear the music coming through. But when I listen to some of the stuff my 11-year-old daughter listens to, I really feel like my parents' reaction to when I brought punk rock records home. They're like, oh, sorry, I just don't understand. I don't understand this at all. And so I, I get, I get worried about some of the things that, that my kids might say about, you know, what I do or, or whether it's relevant. So you worry about that. But at the same time, I kind of pick up on some trends and things and some people, are, you know, occasionally uh, um, impressed that a man of my age will know about certain, you know, I knew about TikTok, you know, five years ago. <laughs> what is this TikTok? I'm like, trust me, yeah. you'll know about it. You know? So, yeah, I so... Kids, on the one hand, can insp- can scare you because they make you feel old and make you feel redundant. But at the same time, they are your conduit to what might be going on on the street that you don't stroll anymore. Um, so I think, yeah, as, 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 probably as an entrepreneur, you obviously you have to take things a bit more seriously and really think about the market. But use, try not to be scared of your kids. Use them to your advantage. Tap them for their knowledge. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm tapping away. No, I, 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 I largely agree with, with, with pretty much everything you said. I think that there's a cause and effect to everything. And, and I think as you get older, I think that there are two ways of looking at it. You can go about change and keep forcing you know, the extraordinary and the hope that you won't fail and, and it doesn't matter and that you're actually improving your mind and being agile and all of that. Or you can say to yourself, shit, it could be my last stand. And as an entrepreneur, every time I... It's like I remember when Coldplay said they feel like they're starting again every time they put an album out. Well, every time I create a product, I feel like that. And, and I, I, I think it's interesting that when you've got a lot of experience, you can actually create novel things from a large body of work. After all, there, are, there is no more music today. Everything's known right so ultimately the fast forward might be an application in the way that you deliver it you know it doesn't mean you necessarily have to go and create something that's you know 
really you know, dramatically different. And yet, for me, there's a personal calling. I want to. I want to be able to find new experiences. I notice on your site, you're out there curating. You're doing other things as well, other than hopefully getting back to performing and, and all the rest of it. I wonder if they're part of just this kind of growing process in your yeah, life. Yeah, well, I, I said about 10 years ago when when the kind of the, the hits had dried up and the records had dried up and my manager was like, you know, what, what's going on here? What, where are we, you know? <laughs> and I, I, was, I, after, I felt like I'd been on a bit of a treadwell where everything you have to do is, is, is either commercially or artistically more successful than the thing you did before. After you've been mm. doing that for 20 years, it's like, oh, Christ, it's exhausting. And yeah. I, I, what mountain top do I have to go to next? And I said to him, you know what? Is it all right if I just take my foot off the gas a bit and we do things that are going sideways rather than up? Like, I don't want to yeah. do things bigger. I don't, I don't want That's the, cool. you know, I've, I've kind of, I've got enough money that I don't, I'm not, you know, searching the dollar. And, yeah. and can we just do stuff that's interesting to me rather than just trying to do something that's bigger and better than what I've done before? And I think it's quite a hard thing to do, even when you've been doing it for 20 years and you feel like you have been to the mountaintop. It's still hard to go, OK, I'm just going to take a step back a bit. But but there's a certain acceptance to that, I think. Like, even thinking about that now, I, I've tried to do, like, even just, like, placebo-wise, try to put that into my mindset because I think perhaps I'll be more creative if I do that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But you, I always come back to this like die hard. I just want to be bigger and better than I was and make a bigger record. And do you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I, how did you, was that hard to like take that step? Yeah, or I think, what? yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of got pretty big. <laughs> I That's kinda, what I'm saying. I like, kind of got to the, I mean, I got to the point where, you know, like the, some of the gigs we'd done on Brighton Beach, it's like you, there's absolutely no physical way you're ever going to top that, you know. And, <laughs> and you know, that old thing, once you've been to number one, there's no higher place to go, you know. And so I kind of, but I, 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 in a way it was easier. It was easy because I was getting a little bit exhausted with it all. I was getting yeah. exhausted physically and, and emotionally and creatively after having done it for, for 25 years. And so, and, but also it was, it was easier to get off because I, it gave me something else to do. The sideways means lots of fun. It means you can indulge in your passion for art and curate an art show and just try things out you've never done. But the first thing I did was instead of trying to make a hit record, I tried to write a musical with David Byrne about, the life, of, about the life of Imelda Marcos. Amazing. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't my biggest commercial hit, but I really enjoyed doing it, and and it ran on broad off Broadway, and it ran at the National Theatre, and it and it was That's great so fun sick. to do, and and not just I mean because it was lovely to work with David Byrne, but just to do something completely different, and yeah. and it takes the it takes the pressure off you to to overachieve and to have bigger and bigger hits because you're not trying to do something that is a hit, and then and then and if I think the last couple of years I've, I. Did a soundtrack to a film, which works on a soundtrack of a film, which I've always wanted to do. Um, hey, what, what what film was Norman? it? That was yeah. uh, that was a beat of the silent movie, which was. Is it different? Is the soundtrack different to what you're typically known for? Like, how did you approach it? I I approach it. I was just um, uh, the. Uh, I was just well. I was just trying to soundtrack a silent movie. The idea was that it was a. Um, it was telling the story of, of Ibiza, but not 
just a load of vox pops of, of Pete Tong and Paul Oakenfold going, oh, back in the old days, we did yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and me. <laughs> and, and it was yeah, just, yeah. not just banging the usual on. usual suspects. Yeah, not just banging on with the same old stories. And so... <laughs> Uh, so the director decided that, that let's make it a silent movie so there's no talking at all so we just explain everything by reenactments and graphics That's and cool. that was a really good discipline but then obviously the soundtrack becomes really important if there's no speaking so you're trying to tell a story with music and I didn't I wasn't like writing a score I was curating it like a DJ would and, nice. and, and, and sourcing tunes that I thought made the scenes come to life and, and it was fabulous fun, really, 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 really great fun to do. And it was a subject that I that I knew really well, and I and I there was a lot of love in it for me. So yeah, so doing things, doing things like that, really, um, they they kind of they keep my love and interest going rather than just feeling that I'm on a treadmill. It's so cool. I got a yeah. question just on that. Wait, wait, in, in the silent movie, dude, you say you curated like a DJ. Did you focus on the story? Like what, so I'm obviously in the film business as well, and I think about the story arc as being the most critical moment. But you, you can look at the events that are just transpiring on the screen. So were you looking at like the moments and thinking, a little bit like Tarantino writes lyrics for what he's hearing in, in, in music, or were you focused on what is the overall story? Like what's going no, on here? Focused, I was focused... I was focused on the, the way that music can help tell a story. If you think that, that, like you were saying about when you were sort of thinking about when you use it, it related to events in your life and it was the yeah. soundtrack of a, a moment in your life which hopefully was an exciting one or you know, a night out or a person that you met one night. You know. And I love the way that music is, becomes a soundtrack of your life. So then having done that, tried to make the soundtrack of people's lives, to then do a film soundtrack where you're trying to do it in reverse and use the music to tell the story rather than the, the other way around. It was, it, so it was more like, how do, how do I make the, the story come to life more by the music being sympathetic to it? Even down to the point of, of uh, just like sound effects, things like that. There's, there's kind of effects you use in, 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 in club tracks and, and maybe when you're DJing, but to actually yeah. sit there with the, with the, the, the thing on the screen and when somebody goes like that, it's like, oh, I could put a little snare drum there, you know, just nice. And yeah, yeah, yeah. and there there were no sort of rules musically about what I could do, and so, you know, and then I'd be looking. It's like there's there's not there's a water noise in the background. Like let's bring that in, and actually using foley sound became that's something I've never done before, and it's great fun because you do it and you you put a, a an obvious sound effect that you got off a sound effect library, and you put it onto something real, and it's like you make it, it hit the moment that that hits. Then you go away, make yourself a cup of tea, you switch it back on, and then you believe that that's actually the noise of the splash. You that's know, so cool. And yeah, 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 so yeah. it was, it was more because it was a documentary and not a you know a love story or you know, it, yeah, it was just taking each scene and just trying to make it come to life with music, and I I really enjoyed doing that. I've I've got to ask them um, because I consider you an amazing selector, and as you know, as you say, like so you've got a deep knowledge of music, and this I think any advice you give will help any musician, DJ, music lover, or someone who just wants to rule the house party. How do you go about looking for records? And, how, and that, has this changed as well? Because back in the day, as you say, you would have gone to record stores, innit? Yeah. And it's changed now. But you, one thing I noticed about you, whenever you play, you always have the latest shit and you always play it in a really unique way. 
you know what I mean? It's just that that side of it is just kind of uh, doing background, just putting the hours in, doing <laughs> research. But you're literally putting in the hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah just research. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, I get sent probably about 30, 40 emails of, of music every day from record companies. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. give every single one of them at least 10 seconds. Like yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't pay somebody else to go through it for me. I, I go through it, and I probably spend on average two, three hours a day just going through all the new tunes. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know. I mean, it's it's half of it is just being a fan. The other half is just keeping a professional ear to the ground. If I hear something that I like, you know, you just I just shazam it, and then I email it to myself. So when I get home, it's like oh yeah, that little thing. Listen to what my kids are into. I don't know. I mean, it's just. Being a selector or a curator or anything, it's you just spend your whole life looking around and going, oh, I like that, that's good. No, you know, put that somewhere in a notebook or somewhere, store it somewhere in your head for future use. And and that's why the, the soundtrack thing was great because there's tons of tunes that were really evocative but don't make people dance, so I've never really had a chance to, 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 to get them out and wave them around in public before. So I don't know. Cool. I think it's it's you know, Jax, what that half half of the reason we get away with what we do is because we've got an ear, we've got an ear for a hook, an ear whether it's you're set on making your own records or somebody else's, you got you kind of go, oh that's catchy, and then two weeks later it turns, you know, you hear it on the radio and you go, oh everyone else thinks it's catchy too. I mean, that that, that I bit, the catchy, yeah, <laughs> that bit is something you I think you've either got or you haven't. Uh, I think the catchy test is is a tricky one because you, it, it does mean you always lean towards the hook, and uh, it, I always get confused when I find slightly more like ambiguous tracks, like especially like an underground culture that is like void of hooks, but it's like going off in the club. There is definitely a difference in club culture between like something that catchy and then something that induces a feeling. Ah, uh, right. You know I mean? No, but you see, therein is what you got exactly what you were talking about in my shows. I get these yeah. tunes where it's like, oh, I really like that. It's really deep. That's a really good beat, but it's got no hook. So I just nick the hook off the latest pop record, bosh that in the middle of it. Everyone goes, hey, that's, that's a great technique. That, yeah. and I mean, that's that, that I learned. I mean, no, Norman's literally the best at that. I learned that from Grandmaster Flash because he, he was the one who, who got me into the idea of creative DJing. Obviously, he invented so many of the techniques of scratching and, and, and cut up music. He... He, I, I, I read every single interview that he ever did. And he used to say that, you know, he said, you place uh, like the, the hot new track, uh, like you're, something that's hot in your head. And he said, and you see if the crowd goes with it. And then you reward them with something they know. And then that lifts them up. And then you take them down a different avenue. And he said, but he said, it's like a dog. You always reward them with something they know. And, and that stuck in my head. And I think whether consciously or unconsciously, I do a lot of that. So the, yeah, so I try and get the coolest beats, but then whack the hook off off whatever everyone's hearing on Radio One, or at least six. I mean, uh, if anyone wants to see that in action, the most recent, I feel like the most recent example of that is on YouTube. You can watch you headlining Isle of Wight Festival. I think two is it two years ago or last year. Well, it would have been years ago, I think. two years ago in, in, real, yeah, yeah. in real terms. In real time. It feels like it was last year because it was fuck all since then. But like, like uh, Isla White Festival, uh, uh, just to give it some context, is 
a, demo, a wide demographic. It's not like a techno festival. It's it's a band festival, and uh, you headlined it, and you can see that technique in action. Just like the, there's a bit of education, but then there's a bit of what you know. But then the balls to do it in front. Of, how many thousand? Like thirty thousand people there, or something like that that day, or something like that. It's crazy. I want to just come back to something you said because I think it's instructive for the for the audience. And that last night. Jack, she talked about this question around how does he select music because he selects great music, right? But yeah. actually, you kind of said that you can kind of put the hard work in. I think of that as immersion, right? Like you have to fully immerse yourself in anything or don't expect anything out of it, right? The other thing is you've got to love what you do, right? Norman has both, right? And he says he started out by saying, you've got to put the work in, right? And he loves music. Mm. But then there's this thing called taste, Right, whether it's me as a designer, you guys as music artists, or you, recording, you've got to have taste. And I think that how do people develop that if they, if it's if it's innate in you, if it's just something that you either have it or you don't. I don't yeah. think you can. I don't no. think you can. I wonder. Develop. I think it's it's I think contentious. You, I, I agree with you. It's contentious, but I think you've either got that bit of it or you haven't. Yeah, yeah. That's a fair it's point. Right. I feel like taste is. Um, you can improve your taste, but you have to have it. You've got to have it somewhere. Yeah, like if you, for example, if you love bangers and mash and chicken nuggets and, and then you expose you to like, you know, like when you go to certain restaurants, like 13 different processes and there's this distillation of sort. And what I love about music and when you start to uh, travel, you experience culture. That's probably one of my favorite bits about the touring is obviously the two hours of show but if we're going to find love in the travel is we we you you start to see humans are the same and you start to pick up these things right but you you experience life and food when you when when you taste banging food it's a true journey yeah like you could taste it and that's what i mean it's like if you love bangers and mash and chicken i've been on tour with some people just they go to those kind of places you got chips yeah, you, you got chips. There's just there's no helping them. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I feel about taste. It's like you, you either got it the beginning or you don't. And then afterwards, it's like, well, you can't help you, mate. You're done here. It's, I mean, it, it also it's a bit like singing. There's <laughs> there's someone I know, and it really wants to be a singer, and but can't sing. And it's Aww. and it's like. Really loves music, but just can't, you know, got no pitch. That's, by and the then, way, that's then, not the end. That's not the end if you've got tone. Well, what, with auto-tune, you mean? Well, you, we all know, like, you can fake performance now, but you can't fake tone. Yeah, his thing was, oh, I'm going to get singing lessons. And I really wanted to say, it was like, you, you know, singing lessons aren't going to, you either, you've either got pitch or not, you, you either know when things are in tune or not, or you don't. And I don't know how... You know, like you said, you can nurture it and you can work on it if you've got it, but yeah, you, yeah. you've got to have it in the first place. But if, if you had like a pie chart of being a successful DJ or, or just a successful musician, I wonder how much of it is is just uh, that innate ear that you've got for a hook, how much of it mm. is, is, is just hard work and, and immersion and how much of it is... It's exposure as well, though, isn't it? Like you, you, if you, I remember reading a Rick Rubin quote, like it's like that you are what you eat, right? And I remember Rick Rubin said, if you want to become a great producer, go and listen to the, what Rolling Stone is considered the top 100 albums of all time. And that's a good place to start. And if you digest all those things, you'll probably be a better producer than you were last year. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and there is something to be said in that. Cause it's, I guess if you expose yourself to good shit, 
you will start to observe good shit, basically. Yeah. Well, you know there's a the thing about skills, right? I mean, in, in just about everything, and music is no different. You still need skills. So I would argue, and you've, we've talked about this before, Tim, right? That, and I bet it's the same for Norman. You guys actually have things in common, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, having known a bit about Norman's career and know a lot about you, you're both played in bands. You're both guitarists. You're both musical, right? You both happen to lean on the side of, of being an extrovert. You're both open. And so when I look at this, I think to myself, well, sexy. that's how you deepen your knowledge. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're both sexy say too. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I agree. Why do you think I want to be here? <laughs> I, I can relate to this, by the way, yeah. that uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a shy show off. <laughs> I'm definitely a shy show yeah. off. That's the, that's the new business card right there. I'm definitely a shy show well, off. What I was, what I was saying though is that, that you, you both have musical skills and it's like that's one way that you can deepen your, uh, your resourcefulness, right, as a, as a recording artist or as a, as a, uh, in your performances. Uh, you, you, can, you can have taste, but you still need, you still need to have musical ability. Or, and this probably means more to you as an entrepreneur, or you think round it. There's, there's yeah, tons of people sure. that I know in the music business who, you know, I, I would love to be a singer, but I'm not a singer, so I have to be a producer or a DJ. Uh, right. And then there's people I know who aren't singers, but they're also not producers or DJs, and they can be in management, or they can, you know, yeah. you don't, or you could, or I mean, a lot of DJs, kind of want to be musicians but they're not really musicians but they can still enjoy their love of music and they can still be creative and share right. their music mm, right. through DJing even if they can't actually write music or you know and so I th you know I think just um doesn't mean that if there's something you love if you're not able to do it like directly doesn't mean you can't be involved in that same arena or you know still you know expand that love into into a business I mean, you know, yeah, some of the, some true. of the, my, my manager, um, who I won't name, but everyone in the business will know, he, I can honestly say that he's the worst singer. Uh, <laughs> he's got no sense of rhythm. And, does my manager. and, and, and we do inverse A&R. Like if he likes a tune I've done, I dump it. Cause, and, um, and he won't mind me saying this, but. He has got such a head for for where the bigger picture of where things are going and right, what right. turns people on, and he's constantly got his ear to the ground and always trying to find out things about everyone. And yeah. because of that, he's had a fabulous career in music management and in the music scene, but without any musical talent whatsoever. And and he's had the best life ever. So yeah, I mean, just yeah, because if you if you're not an innate singer or musician, it doesn't mean you can't have uh, have a, a creative, career, yeah, a creative career. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've still got can stuff we, to bring to the table. Sure. Can, can we, um, if I can uh, change the subject slightly, because I'm fascinated to, obviously we're going to keep coming into music, but I'd love to discuss your, now I'm a big fan of Brighton, but your affinity with Brighton, obviously it's a big love for you, Brighton Beach. You know, you've got your cafe, you live there. Why is it so special to you? I mean, I can give you my view, but I'm much more interested in what it means to you. By the way, a word about the cafe. We To get Norman to do this chat was uh, difficult, but also surprisingly easy because he's spending his days during the pandemic working at his own cafe. <laughs> oh, it just, I just had to readjust In the Brian. hours. Yeah. 
It's amazing. You, you, were, you were a victim of the weather, I'm afraid, because <laughs> we knew that, that we knew that this week was going to be busy because the weather, because the first good weather. So we, I just, I had to be there at lunchtime just to cover the lunch hour. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, no, my love affair with Brighton is, I don't know, I just, I think it's one, of, you know, like a, a really good love affair where you think your partner's really cool and then they think you're really cool, so you think they're right. really cool, and it right. just reciprocates and as long as one doesn't shag around then it can it can carry on <laughs> so it was like that i mean i came, i moved down to brighton to go to college but i didn't care what what uh course i was doing i just wanted to be in brighton because i'd gone there and my sister used to live there and i used to go and stay in it i knew it was really cool i just wanted to live in brighton and then when i started doing well in brighton everyone in brighton was really sort of proud of me for doing well and then the fact that i didn't leave brighton well i had to move up to Hull for a bit and eventually, you know, I'd always come back to Brighton and I was, I, and so everyone in Brighton was really proud of me going, oh, you're a local boy, made good. And that feels, that made me think, oh, Brighton's even cool now. I thought it was really cool before, now I think it's really cool. And they thought, oh, cool. Yeah, so it's just, it's got to a stupid degree now, you know, after we did the big beach thing and everything, it's like every single person in Brighton sort of knows who I am and, you know, affected their life for, for good or ill, you know. And... So, and it's just, I don't know, I just, I'm really proud of the city I live in. It's quite a, it's quite a progressive thinking, liberal is, yeah. kind of place anyway. Yeah. Very tolerant, yeah. very tolerant of alternative lifestyles and, and, and beliefs. And um, I love, I love the tolerance of the place. So, and they've yeah. tolerated me and, and yeah, there's a, there's a kind of, I don't know, it's just, it, it does get a bit silly at times when people go, oh, you should be mayor. And I'm like... No, or people go, you know, and you still live here. It's like, well, it's not a, it's not a career decision. Can you know. walk down the street in Brighton? Yeah, like, of course you can. Like without being like tackled. Like, yeah. For, well, no, because the other thing, the shit. other thing is, I think Brighton's small enough that everyone in Brighton uh, who likes me has met me by now. So everyone just goes, right, Norm. <laughs> it's worn off now. He's part of the furniture. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's it's a very it's a it's a beautiful thing. My relationship with the city I live in because yeah. I do I and I just I'm I'm really proud I'm really proud of everything that this city does. You know, we've we've got the only green. Um, uh, council and MPs in the country and a lot of good stuff happens here and a lot of good music and people come out of here so no, I, 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 I've, I'm very proud of the place Do you think I, it's I, important to have somewhere to rep? Like think, somewhere that you're known to be from like do you oh, think yeah. that builds like a story for, for someone? Do you know what I mean? Like oh yeah. he's from Brighton do you know what I mean? Like, yeah and it's, and it's, a, it's oh. a pride I mean I, I haven't got a huge amount of pride in being British I'll be honest with you. It's a, Is that a recent show, thing or no, you've no. always felt like that? Started probably in the minor strike and that, I grew up during the Thatcher years. It's not much yeah. to be proud of this country about. And, you know, I am would never, you know, I, I just got a new mini and I made them take the Union Jack off the brake lights. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> And they and they, they they said they were going to do it, then they didn't. I'm like, no, no, change I'm, it to I'm smiley not, faces. Uh, yeah, change I'm not driving around face. with the Union Jack every time I break. And they're like, why not? I'm like, because I'm not proud of this guy. So I'm not proud of of of, of England, um, of Great Britain. Uh, Is there any one, one thing? Well, that's something that really gets you. But I mean, Thatcherism was was an example in itself. So that's a good one. Uh, but but is there any specific that you're like, well, fuck, we could have done that better or? Uh, well, there's so many things we could do better. Just, I, know I think, uh, you know, yeah. the dumb, the dumb, arrogant patronism 
Uh, patri- yes, pa- that's tra- what I was going to say. Yeah. Imperial, that kind of imperialism. Yeah, that they, just it's that just undercurrent. We have, back yeah. to us thinking we're better than everyone else when in yeah, fact yeah, we, yeah. we might have been, but it wasn't even much to cry about in the first place, apart from we enslaved a lot of people and raped their countries. Um, it was, yeah, no, it's just that idea that, that we're better than everybody else. And, and I, same as you, I have to travel around the world and I have to, people just sneer about us and laugh or laugh about us especially since post-Brexit, it's made it even worse, because they just think we're pompous, arrogant twats who, who you know, live on an imperialist past that doesn't... I, I'll start. I, I could go on all afternoon. I, I try and steer clear of politics because I get quite cross about it. But um, coming back to Brighton, and it, but Brighton I'm really proud of. It's like nothing that Brighton has done that doesn't make me smile or laugh <laughs> or beam with pride, you know. There's a, there's a thing in... Um, there's a thing that uh, that was in the Sun years ago about uh, about us not wanting the Tory Party conference, and the Sun it was like a Sun the Sun says Brighton is a town full of gays, anarchists, and green ne'er do wells. You know they who refuse to curtsy with a mayoress who refused to curtsy to the Queen, and it's yeah. like let the town city rot in hell, and we're like, yeah, uh, I'm really glad we've upset you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad we've got under your skin. Yeah, it's an interesting point you make, uh, Tim. That when you have um, when you have a, a, a roots like really significant roots, and you're proud of them, and they're running through your veins, and you're willing to talk about it a lot, as Norman does about Brighton, and, and whether it's the football club or the concerts or whatever he's doing, there's something about it. Not only adds to your identity, adds to the fabric of your life, but I think it grounds you and creates balance. And it may not all be good, but generally, I would argue that roots are a, a fabulous thing. As you know, with my life, living all over the place and traveling, roots are something I've struggled with, right? And, and, and even though I found them, and I found them through my kids, um, I think when you can have a sense of purpose and it's your environment, I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I I agree, actually. Uh, and even the idea of being the hometown hero, even as a story of... If you think about, because when you think about Fatboy Slim, you you probably think synonymously about Brighton. If I'm being honest with you, you know, with the in this famous gig that you did on the beach and all that, and I I think there's something really powerful about that because it makes you a real person. Do you know what I mean? It's not just like this contrived figure that's appeared out of nowhere that makes music. It's like no, he's he's walked the streets that we've walked, and and he reps this place, and and now he's there. Wow. You could do it too if you wanted. Do you know what I mean? There's there's something about that as well that I think is really powerful. Yeah, it's again, it's it's there's this very special tingle, like like the the tingle of singing together or something like that. The tingle of of I don't I don't know I I call it like the the Rocky syndrome. You know, like when Rocky's yeah, running yeah. around the town, and everyone's going, "Hey, Rocky!" Sometimes I, I you know obviously I'm I won't be training running up steps. I'll be in Waitrose. And I'll get a little bit of that when people just go, all right, no, I love what you did there. Or when are you going to do another gig on the beach? Or, you know, there is there is a slight, yeah, again, it's like, what's this strange beating in my heart? It's like pride. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of Cheers. You, you know the show Cheers? You know, where everybody knows your name. But there's something yeah. nice about feeling part of the environment. There's yeah. a small town aspect to it because I got it from, my, my wife is from up north. Uh, from Lincolnshire, a, a village outside of Grimsby, and when you and I, I, the reason why I know we must be soulmates is because I grew up in South London, and there's just the, the odds of me marrying someone from Grimsby they're very slim, 
very very slim and uh, my trajectory started to lift as we uh my wife we've been together nine years so we kind of grew it together do you know what i mean and she's been a part of every turn and the area be- knew that i was mar- uh, with her and it started to build and i get that little tingle of I-, I would say i'm less proud of grimsby because i think it needs a lot of love um it's uh, I, one thing about touring the uk and especially in america actually all around the world once you get outside the big cities there's it needs love do you know what i'm saying so grimsby is one of those places so i can't say that i'm like this is the best place on earth but i get that sense of Oh, the boy done good. He's been, and I shout out on the radio and I do like links, links FM interviews and they go, yeah, you, your wife's from Grimsby. You love Grimsby. You love fish and chips, don't you? You're like, yes, I do. He's one of our own. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It does give you a little buzz. Yeah. I got a last question on Norman Cook before we get into more music. And that is perhaps for the listeners, Norman, you'd like, maybe you can tell us something that people might not know about you. I always find this interesting because there's a fair bit. Like I've, I've heard you talk about superstition. I'm Obviously, I'm a fan, so I, I've looked harder than others. But is there anything that you think people don't know about you that you'd be happy to share? I don't know. If you know about me shouting at magpies, you've gone pretty deep there. Um, <laughs> what the hell? I do. I actually, I, I actually <laughs> yeah. do. Uh, I didn't know that. I don't, do you know I'm colourblind? No. no, there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, there, there's your, there's your little morsel. There, there, there it is. There color it is. Black. What, what's is that annoying? Y- yeah, being a bit. Black. Yeah, it's not incapacitating. Yeah. It's slightly annoying. It's more. Yeah. To be honest, it's more annoying for the people around me than me. Because, <laughs> okay. I've never known anything different. But uh, people yeah. around you, it's like because if you say you're colorblind, they go, "What color is that?" And if you get it right, they go, "You're not colorblind." And you're making it up. And if you you get it wrong, then they go, ha, you think that's blue. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I know, um, Zoe, my, my uh, estranged and, uh, ex-wife, she never, in the 20 years we were together, she never actually really believed that I was colorblind. She thought I'd put the whole Whoa. thing on. Just, just, yeah, I know what, I mean, like, she used to say, you just really play up to it. I'm like, what? Why would I pretend to be like, you know... <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a weird one. It means I could never be an artist, really. It means I could never get drafted into the armed forces, which I was quite happy about. Uh, and it just means you get, it's a bit like dyslexia. You, I see everything in colour, I just don't know what the hell it is. You could be an artist, you could just be more texture-led. I could be a black and white artist, yeah, texture-led. Yeah, but I can't draw either. There's, 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 <laughs> a, there's, a, there's a few little technicalities. I mean, it's not the same, obviously, but I remember uh, I was I've been taking piano lessons recently because I've got this belief that, um, well, if you're going to do music, like I want to learn more about it. So I I need to have something to show for it. So I can play the guitar. I was like, right, I'm going to play the piano now. Right. And it's been really fun actually being a novice. But I've also been learning like these little facts about the piano. And did you know, obviously, Stevie Wonder is blind. And that's why a lot of his songs are written on the black keys, which is sort of like B, B, E flat major and that kind of stuff, because they're mostly the black find, notes on yeah. the piano. Easy for him to find. Yeah. So you can make it work, bruv, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's many. If it was just the colourblind thing, I might have got around it. There's, there's many other reasons why I can't be an artist. <laughs> but, uh, but I do still really appreciate it. I really love art. And like I said, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I got to curate my first art exhibition and that was really exciting to again it comes back to what we were talking to about phoning people your heroes or people you know i mm. when i was curating it they, they were like well and i'm just like well who do i get and they said well just phone up your favorite artists and see if they if they see if they it. like you 
and and you're getting into NFTs. I've done an I'm halfway through an NFT. Well, I've done my bit of it. Yeah, have, have you? Not yet. We're looking at it. It's, it's, it feel, feel, I, I'm trying to discern the uh, the capitalists and the people that actually give a shit about it. I I kind of surrendered about two weeks into the process. I surrendered the hope that I'd ever actually understand what it was that I was doing. So for me, it's it's basically I'm collaborating with an artist who's a really good friend of mine, Chemical X. And nice. um, I thought and, you'd do something Raiko. Because you had Riker at your show in, um, yeah, you know, no, your, your I, you know shows. what? I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do more than one. I would happily do one with with Riker, yeah, yeah, and it would be fitting. But no, um, Chemical X asked first. He got in. The, you know, I'd yeah. never. I literally, I'm like fungible. What what does fungible mean? Um, but no, he's explained. It's a terrible name. He's explained the the where it sits in the terms of you know fungibility and bitcoins and stuff like that. I just. Means nothing to me whatsoever. I just enjoyed making a piece of of music that goes with a visual that he did, and then then he tweaked the visual to the piece of music I did. And so it's just like making a little short little pop promo, or or like making the visuals that we use in my show anyway. So yeah. for me, I just treat artistically. I really enjoyed working with him on it, but where it stands in the greater scheme of the world, and whether it's actually going to sell for twenty five million pounds, I don't, or twenty five million bitcoins, I really don't know. There's scope for it though, um, uh, which is interesting in terms of the token aspect. Because I think even for you, it might be attractive in terms of you can actually create experiences that are built off the token. So, like for example, at your show, you there could be a moment in the show where you have uh, people have the ability to buy or you give it away for free, and then a, a non fungible token, and then. Um, it's attached to an experience. So for example, the experience could be you do a private house party for someone at the show or something like that. So it, it's not just like art. It's basically anything unique and like for us, for a sole person, basically. It's more than that. It's an expandable asset class. That's what you're Damn. talking about, right? God. Exactly, um, <laughs> it, an NFT, uh, other than the fact that's a terrible fucking name, non-fungible well, token. National right? Film I Theatre. Mean, <laughs> National, yeah, it's better. I tell you what, it'd be better to call it National Film Theatre. But basically, it's an expandable asset. Um, and, and that's what makes it quite powerful. In fact, in the entrepreneur shit that I do, uh, they want me to actually do a, a module on it. And I'm actually starting to think, you know what? There's some clarity really needed because NFTs are going nowhere. They're going to stay around for a long time. And guys like yourself can create them for sure. Yeah. And then you can build on top of them. It's kind of something quite punk about it because it's decentralized. That's what I thought that would appeal uh, to you. Like that. Yeah, yeah. No, you're selling it there. You're selling it much more. Yeah, than yeah, yeah it's like quite punk about it. Expandable assets means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you my new module on it. I'm gonna get you on the <laughs> NFT. We're gonna get you NFT trained, whatever that fucking means. Anyway, um, let's talk about let's talk about your career. It, it's funny. I was li- listening to your songs and I'm thinking. All your songs have something in them that describe the present day, like a podcast, like we've come a long, long way. Praise you for being here, right here, right now. I'm thinking, fucking hell. I could literally bring all your songs <laughs> together. And I'm thinking, what is you, how have you endured so long? Like, do you think there's one kind of special quality? Like, you literally, to me, okay, because I'm older, but I'm, you're as relevant to me today as you was when you popped on the scene. What do you think has, has been that kind of special thing that has kept you going so long? Or more importantly, present in your fans' eyes. I've, I've honestly no idea, <laughs> and you know it was there was never, but because there was never, unlike probably as an entrepreneur, you kind of have a, a 
plan of what you're doing and you're thinking I've seen a gap in the market for something or I know something I've got something that people want I didn't approach anything with that kind with any kind of plan of where what I was doing or where I was going with it it's just I like making these sounds I like making this noise I like waving my arms around and if there's enough other people who like it then I could make a living out of it and there that especially with Fatboy Slim I'd been in pop bands and I'd been in situations where we were trying to control the situation and we're trying to think right i know what's going to be big i know how this is going to work i know how we should dress and you know there's times when we flirted with that and it just never really panned out like we expected right, right. with fatboy slim it was i was i was in i had i had pizza man and freak power going and the mighty Dubcats. so the last thing i needed was another another alter ego and fatboy slim just sort of appeared and everybody really liked it and I had no idea why they liked that so much more than the other things I was doing but all I knew is like it, I was really happy doing that and it was like I, by not trying to be something and not being in a band with other people and just me pleasing myself seemed to be really successful but I've no idea why that was and then at the times when it hasn't been so successful I haven't been able to recreate it so I've I can't, I've no idea I've Wish I could say, oh, well, I really knew what I was doing there and, you know, I reinvented, right, my, right, reinvented right. myself and I tapped into that. I've, I literally, a lot of it is luck. A lot of it was falling on my feet in the right place at the right time. You have to be, you have to create something that you hope is iconic, right? That's something that stands the test of time in history. So you defining a, a genre and the timing of your music, it was just powerful, right? Like it related to people. If it's in history, it means someone is going to flip that at some point and go back to it, right? Just like my son's 19 and without me is playing your music because it's part of history. And I think that that in and of itself is extremely powerful. The other thing is that you had a name that and I'm, I'm a guy that creates a lot of brands and products over the years. And Fatboy Slim, I think, is an iconic name. However the fuck you came up with it, it just worked. It sticks in people's minds, right? And, and so being in history with such an iconic name and creating magic at a moment, it seems to have just stood the test of time. And I, I'm not going to bore you with other examples in different industries, but it seems to be common that if you can grab a bit of history because it was iconic and you're highly memorable, then, yeah, people are going to come out of your shows all the time, right? And they do seem to come out of your show in big droves of people. It is interesting what you said about your 19-year-old son because I've got a 20-year-old son and he, uh, in his kind of Spotify algorithm, it's worked out that he kind of likes this kind of, kind of fat boy slim kind of Norman Cook thing. So it keeps feeding him tunes that he's, ne <laughs> that he's never heard of, you know, just suggesting tunes for him. Right. And then he goes, I really like this one. And then he looks it up and he finds out it's his dad again. <laughs> and he's, he, he's that sort must of, make you feel good. It makes me feel fabulous because the yeah, thing is, yeah. I never bored him with it. Most of it was I made before he was born. So he wouldn't, you know, it never gets played in our house. So he wouldn't have heard of it. And, uh, and it's quite, from his point of view, he's, he's half really proud. But on the other, uh, the, the other half is, oh, fuck's sake, it's him again. <laughs> but it's quite interesting, like you said, that, that, you know, once, because he had like three Fatboy Slim tunes, he, it's then led him down an algorithm of other things that, that, that I've done. And I don't know whether it's just like somewhere in the algorithm that says, you must really fucking like Fatboy Slim, <laughs> almost like you're related to him or something. <laughs> but you kind of intoned that I 
thought I was trying to make something iconic and lasting. And I remember getting told off in interviews for going, you know what, this music, it's just, it's just a dance to this Friday, you know, it's, it's not going to stand the test of time. And I remember people, I remember the Chemical Brothers used to take me to task and go, you really sort of belittle what we're doing by saying, you know, you don't expect but people to But literally that's mind-blowing, mate. That is literally mind-blowing that you feel like... I- I'm with you. Surely that's the shy show off talking there because he's there's just no way. Are you being serious? Like, I could it's humble, praise you. Like, you could like the the chems were sick, yeah. Like, they they made some sick shit. I remember seeing them out in uh recently in Mexico, they were headlining and it was crazy, you know. And they played uh superstar DJs, here we go, and like the crowd went quite. And they and you know how they do it nowadays, they basically do like 10 minute dub versions with like 30 seconds of yeah, the vocal yeah, yeah. And, and then disappear again and they literally went crazy and maybe maybe I'm more of a fan of you I don't know but I don't think about their music the same way that this Praise You sounds like a, 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 it's seminal it's like like I'm right here right now is seminal it, it like it sounds like an anthem an as anthem. well as it's, an anthem. Yeah, it's a fucking yeah. anthem it's like you could play that anywhere around the world and literally everyone starts crying and shit. Like, do you know what I mean? No, but the, but yeah. the description oh. anthem is always retrospective. It's like, it, you know, it you has to be You must have known there. it was an anthem when you... No, no way. No, no way. All right, Jax, I'll counter yeah. you with this. What's the last What's the last tune you made? Uh, this song called I Missed... Uh, what? Yeah. That's out or that... I'm no, that, no, that you made. Did... Out. Even better. Even, no, this... even better than if it isn't out yet. All right, yeah. This, the ones you I've did, you know, of... yesterday in the studio. Yeah, right? I just did a okay, song. That tune, with... where, yeah, do you think, where do you think it's going to get to in the charts? I think it's number one, mate. Right. <laughs> how, how many weeks do you think it's going to be at number one? Oh, I haven't got that far. It's, it's hard nowadays to stay oh. at number one. It's not like it was back in the day. <laughs> what do you think is going to be its most successful sync? Right, so you can't answer these questions. Of course, when you've just when you've done a tune, you don't know at the time which are the really good ones. Yeah, but I know how it makes me feel. Yeah, well, all, so all the tunes you do, it. all the tunes you do, you think in your head they're going to be number one, but you have to be realistic; they're not. But I, you can't say you can't say that when you make a tune that's going to be you know your career defining tune or the one that really outlives. You can't tell me that you knew that until 10 years later well actually back in the day i could give you an indicator because you had like pre-order systems and all that kind of stuff so there was and obviously you could have chart hype and all that shit back in the day but nowadays where you've the great democratizer which is fucking the internet and streaming it's definitely harder to get a number one like uh i feel like that special place is reserved for like the Ed Sheerans of this world and or freak like viral TikTok records. Do you know what I mean? Um, and there's so many but, ways for things to become number one. Do you know what I mean? But the, um, I definitely, the only rule that I apply to music and whenever I do anything is I really like this. I find it very addictive. I play it to people and they have the same feeling. And I mean like punters, not A&R men. And all that because they're fucked in the head, A and R men. And it like they they have a different agenda to you. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but you play it to no, you know you've produced something well. Like it's not like it's gonna you're gonna play it in different places. Gonna sound like trash. You know the core of it is well done. So we're judging it as a finished thing. And you know that thing. You look at someone's face and you can tell whether it's truly giving them a buzz. Yeah. And yeah. and and then I link that with catchiness. And I'm like, I know. I don't know how far this is gonna go. 
but I know it's going to be successful. So it's that you level between you know it's catchy, but you don't know if it's anthemic. And if it's anthemic... Yes, I can't place it if something's be, anthemic. Is it, yeah. is it going to be long-lasting? Is it going to be, you know, like... You know, you just, you oh, yeah, I know what you mean. You just can't tell these things. You can't measure the future. That's the problem, right? You, so, so an anthem is a long period. Yeah, but you want... Uh, the re, I guess it's alluring as like a, a music maker and just like someone who makes shit. It's alluring because you want to quantify it because you want to have that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you want to... I guess it's like... It's kind of like... Norman, why is it anthemic? And you're like, well, I just made it. it that's probably, it's frustrating because it's like, it's true. But it's like, I, ha, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, don't get <laughs> me wrong. I, w- I was trying to make an anthem, but you're always there trying to make is, an yeah. anthem. But you <laughs> there, there there about a few yeah, of them is. actually get through the net. You know what I really love? My, my daughter, when she's on TikTok, these tunes pop up on the algorithm or someone's thought of a really good, funny dance routine to do with some tune like from the, I don't know, the 50s or something like that, that all of a sudden my daughter's all over and she's no idea about where it came from. And and she's like, you know, I start singing along with it. She's like, how do you know this one, Dad? I'm like, because it's from when I was your age or, you know. And then then, then you think, I wonder if the person who made that tune can understand that there's like, Mm. you know, half a million. Right now, as we speak, there's half a million tween girls doing a really strange, highly sexy dance routine to a tune that you made 35 years ago. You no idea that this is going on. In six months' time, you might find out. Your record company, you might go, what was that spike in my royalties? And they went, oh, yeah, you were, you were trending <laughs> on TikTok. And then, what, were they doing? what was the dancer doing? Oh, well, everybody was going like this. <laughs> I mean, that's, what, that's one of the many things I love about the music business is that Everything that's that's out there can get either recycled. You know, you can, you know, I can sample somebody, and they can have an, an, an another hit or in, 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 put it in different. Or you know, a Levi advert. When I was younger, the Levi advert used to be the thing. It would suddenly make a, a, a hit out of a tune that we'd all forgotten because it, yeah. yeah. it was on yeah. the. Do you think the Sea Shanty record now that that is an anthem? Isn't that the craziest? Out of all the weird things to come out of current pop culture, people singing sea shanties. I, I, that one. I've just been hearing it go, go, and it's like, and it's getting, and it's like, oh no, no, what really? Actually, it is really number one in the charts. I had to it is say that. Actually, number one. I, yeah, yeah. I, my daughter. I, like, I know. What are you? You know? Are you shitting me? It really is number one in the charts. She went, yeah. I, I, one of the things I've found when when the word meme was coming out with it on the internet. Someone said, oh, memes is what you've been doing. And I looked it up, and I think it was with um, Mark Radcliffe as Stuart McConey, and they went and looked up what a meme was, a trope or a meme, and the difference between a trope and a meme. And it's like uh, it's a slogan or expression that becomes part of uh, the culture. culture, Yeah, 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 yeah. For whatever reason, and it can exist within its original context or completely about it. And then if you think about right here, right now, um, we've come a long, long way together. Eat, sleep, rave, repeat. Basically, uh, turn on, tune in, cop out. You know, I've basically lived my whole life in memes without, without real, you know, <laughs> not memes about cats, but, you know, just like, I don't know, slugs. And maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's the reason why it stuck around because every time I hear the lyrics of Praise You, they still work. They, they work with the NHS. Yeah. They work, you know, it, maybe it's because, I went for those memes that are kind of one size fits all 
right is that here. the new place to find samples then on tiktok uh could you? be well no because you are you know because you'll end up with <laughs> down some strange image oh you'll end up singing sea shanties uh, taking back to great moments in my musical career one was doing a tv show in germany and we kept uh, they kept doing the rehearsals and they kept stopping there was all the people looking at the control room and it was all going wrong and it was when dubby good to me was out and uh, mm. this went on for about 40 minutes and then they sent us back to the dressing room and they said, oh, there's a problem, there's a problem. And eventually they came in and said, oh, I'm sorry, we're having very big problems here. And I said, what happened? They said, there's a noise on the record. There's like a scratching noise. All, uh, on our, we have like a dat and a reel-to-reel and it's still this scratching, scratching noise. And it was the, it was the scratching noise off my copy of... Guns of Brixton, when I sampled it, it had a little scratch on it, which was looped. And they just couldn't get their head around that that was part of the music. But no, I mean, you look, Praise You is, uh, what was that? It was a demo recording of, of a, like, it was like a library recording of like a... The uh, piano was. Like messing around the piano. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, like that's not something you're going to go and listen to in ter- as your average listener, right? It was like, it's off cuts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Go and ask that piano player if we could ever find him, that piano player. Did you realise while you were just playing those three chords waiting for the guitarist to be in tune that then they were going to be, uh, you know, an anthem? There's a certain throwawayness to it that it's like he's just fumbling around and it sounds class. What I love about it is that, that there's talking in the background. Yeah. But it's somebody on the piano mic <laughs> just talking about something else while he's playing it. Okay, my brother, my friend, we are at that time of the show. Thought of the day. What are you saying? Well, it's it it's interesting because I'm going to keep it with music uh, this week. And, and the reason I'm saying that is that it's hard to escape not just a, a wonderful podcast, uh, but also it, it took me right back to my early years. And I don't need many things to remind me about some of the things I've, I, I've done or where I've been in my life. But... I, I treasure uh-huh. them. And so for me, it, I, I only wished that I had more of those experiences. And I hope the road ahead is as long as the road I've traveled. But I know I probably aren't going to have some of those experiences because we're all getting older. And so my message to myself and to others is you really have to value the moments you have in life. They are really, really important. And that's how I feel. I really like that because... Often when, and I'm assuming a lot of the people listening, and this is a big generalization, but I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you're someone who is curious and 
has a passion for life and generally that leads to a lot of productivity because there's a lot of life to try and sometimes productivity is at the expense of experiences um and yes you can be it can be very enriching but there are things there are sacrifices that come with that i think we even lamented on that with norman in the interview so it's powerful man like make time for those experiences yeah. do you know what i mean i love that yeah oh totally my thought of the day is the theme is compassion and it's interesting since having a daughter um i read a a, a little statistic that uh, men who have daughters end up becoming more compassionate and paying their staff more um being more open to all sorts of things uh, but generally men who male boss be, bosses who are male and then have daughters end up paying their staff more uh i think you just basically become more porous and i've noticed that since having a daughter i've started to have much more intense feelings of compassion but as much as i feel like we can have more compassion for others generally as we're seeing where there's so many things online that we see where um some of it you know is it, it, it is what you call it, it virtue signaling but a lot of it is for good when it's black Lives matters or anti-asian hate um you know we're having to have compassion whether you're from those ethnic groups or not and especially me for the first time being an asian seeing a tagline like uh stopping asian hate is where i i start to feel those feelings as a group but compa- i'm also want to state that it's important to have compassion for yourself uh in this weird time that we're in um where we're experiencing all different feelings all around the world and i'm sure a lot of people are feeling like their life has been on hold uh for a couple of years now or and all the daily stresses and the obstacles that we have to overcome just have compassion for yourself and be patient with yourself. That's me. I love that. I love that, dude. I mean, Jesus Christ, that was very deep. <laughs> that was, that, that was, it was not only deep, uh, and it's also very true, and I like to think that my parents taught me compassion, and I think it's an incredible trait that every human um, you know, needs to acknowledge. Uh, and perhaps I don't know develop because I think it's in it's within all of us. Yeah. But I think that's really powerful. I also think that you gave a message of hope. Yes. There as well. Yes. I like that a lot. Thank I like it. Thank you, brother. I've, I'm getting better at these thoughts of the days. I'm having more thoughts. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be going to you next. Thank you. Next time we'll expect another profound thought for the day. <laughs> all right, man. Big up, big up, big up. <laughs> Gassing me up now. <laughs> a big up, yeah. Yes, thank you guys for listening to the Jax Jones and Martin Warner show. There is so much in that interview to follow up on. So go to our website, www.jaxandmartinshow.com and you'll see videos for the Brighton Beach gig we talked about, Norman's early inspirations, some useful stuff if you want to learn more about working in the music industry or need inspiration in whatever creative work you are doing. We're here for you guys. You can now also WhatsApp the show from anywhere in the world on plus four four seven seven three five three nine four two eight four send us any questions you have suggestions for guests or feedback in general don't forget to hit like share and subscribe if you haven't already and we'll see you next time bye bye